Life Audio. Christian Parent Crazy World with Katherine Seegers is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. Welcome to Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will explore this vitally important question, what foundation is necessary for our marriages to thrive? My special guests today have identified four foundational principles or mindsets that will help any marriage to not only survive, but to thrive. And the true testament of these principles is that they can be used to revive a marriage that has been rocked to the core. Josh and Katie Walters are the authors of a brand new book, New Marriage, Same Couple. In it, they tell the incredible story of how God completely restored their marriage by applying four foundational principles. We are going to learn what those principles are today. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World. So let's get started. Are you tired of constantly telling yourself, I shouldn't feel this way? Yet so many of us guilt trip or gaslight ourselves instead of working our way through those complicated feelings. You should be a good friend, even though you feel hurt by past betrayals. You should be content, even though you feel lonely or unfulfilled. We've all been there, haven't we? But what if there was a way to reset these toxic mental tapes that sabotage our days? Well, there is. In her groundbreaking new book, I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Dr. Allison Cook encourages you to not just silence those thoughts, but actually come face-to-face with them. You can find emotional freedom, learn to look through the haze of conflicted feelings, and move forward in your life with confidence. Pairing biblically sound principles with over 20 years of research and clinical practice, licensed therapist and best-selling author Dr. Allison Cook guides you through a practical three-step process to find freedom you crave. Change starts when you finally stop beating yourself up for the way that you feel and say, you know what? I do feel this way and I can finally do something about it. Take the first step towards clarity and peace today with I Shouldn't Feel This Way by Dr. Allison Cook. Available now wherever books are sold. As always, be sure to hit that subscribe button, moms and dads, on whatever platform you are listening on and head over to my website at katherineseegers.com and subscribe to make sure you get all of my free resources. I have assembled incredible scripture lists to pray over your children and a bundle of resources for parenting prodigal children and an ebook to help you overcome the myths that our culture tells us mothers about mothering. Lots of good stuff. And of course, I will make sure to let you know about every new episode, article, and resource that I come out with. Alrighty, so my incredible guests today are Josh and Katie Walters. You are going to love these guys. They have so much wisdom to share on how to improve or restore your marriage or even how to let God bring a dead marriage 
back to life. Josh serves on staff at Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina as the executive pastor for Seacoast Experience. Katie is the CEO of Francis and Benedict, an exquisite fashion line with an awesome missions focus. Their beautiful creations are made by single moms and widows in Togo, Africa. So cool. Both Josh and Katie have master's degrees in counseling, and they have a new book out fresh off the press in 2024 called New Marriage, Same Couple. You will hear all about that in our conversation. So let's jump right in. Josh and Katie, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Ooh, we're, so we're so excited. We are definitely in Christian parent crazy world. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> I'm so glad to be on this podcast. Okay, so I have to start here. Do you get a doppelganger all the time, Josh? Because the first time I saw you, and I'm going to try not to call you Jeremy, but you get Jeremy Renner, don't you? All the, all time. the time. It's funny. He just launched some kind of, I forget if it's tequila or what it is, but some, some distillery. distillery based out of Charleston and, and <laughs> a lot of local publicity uh-huh. about events he's been having. And so the number of free meals and... People that want his autograph. People that want my autograph. I've had to be like, I, I'm not him. I had someone at church a couple of weeks ago walk up. He was in a bad accident maybe a year oh, ago now. He was. I remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And a woman walked up like totally convinced that I was him. And I've been on staff there 16 years now. <laughs> and so like. <laughs> That's amazing. And so you're the pastor that has a distillery. That's a. Exactly. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> Talk about a crazy world. <laughs> That's a little awkward. Uh, interesting to explain. No, you do really. I mean, stunt doubles don't even have to look like somebody. You could just be the double double. He could hire you to do functions really for him because you really, really do. Anyways, I just had to get that out of the way because I thought I've kind of gone through my notes and stuff and I keep wanting to call you Jeremy. Not that I've ever met him. Um, but anyway, so just had to get that out of the way. Little, awesome. little icebreaker there. But I want you to tell us a little bit about your family and what you guys do before we jump into today's topic. Yeah. Yeah. So we're Josh and Katie. We live in Charleston, South Carolina. We have seven kids between the ages of 20. Our oldest turned 20 yesterday, actually. And then our youngest is three. And we wanted seven since we were 18 on our first date. We said, how many kids do you want? And we both said, let's say it on the count of three. And then we said, one, two, three, seven. So I can't believe we actually had seven. We talked about this some before we got started, but it definitely was an act of God, especially the last mm-hmm. two, because we we felt pretty at capacity by about four. But yeah. <laughs> we've been in Charleston for the last 16 years, and we really moved here. I mean, this is a lot of our story in the book, but we went through a devastating season of marriage when we moved here in a place of real brokenness and pain. We just wanted to be in a healthy church and mm-hmm. focus on our marriage, focus on our family, get healing and we've been here for 16 years since. So we say that we actually probably started doing ministry when we got here in our season of pain. Before that, we don't really know what we were doing. We were in <laughs> ministry. <laughs> we're not really sure what we were ministering out of uh-huh. because the pain has served us so well, you know, mm-hmm. but we've loved raising our family in Charleston and we have two girls and then we have four boys right in the middle. So they keep us humble, keep us on our knees. And not knowing exactly what we're doing. Don't they, though? (laughs) You world. That's right. Yeah, they say they keep you on your toes, but really they keep you on your knees. That's where (laughs) parenting keeps us. And and our marriages, you guys have a brand new book out called New Marriage, 
same couple that is in a word, simply awesome. Uh-huh. Awesome. I, I was completely sucked into this book from the first sentence, could not put it down. In this book, you offer a four-step process for improving any marriage. But the true testament of this process is that it can heal a marriage that is rocked to the core, which is where you guys start the book, right? So share with us how you found yourself in need of a new marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So Katie and I met in college and we were the first among our friends to get married. And we're always that couple that were ministry minded. We met doing youth ministry and very much thought we were just going to change the world together and Mm -hmm. got married. I was a youth pastor. Katie was an elementary school guidance counselor and pretty quickly started. We were acquiring rental property. We'd live in a house, fix it up and rent it out and move on to the next one, thinking we're going to have this slew of kids. And one day we could just give each of them a house and they can (laughs) sell it, live in it, pay for college with it, weddings with it, whatever it is. But as a pastor, I wasn't going to have the funds to hook them up otherwise. So it was like we were we were just hustling with rental properties, getting our masters, starting jobs, having kids. And 22 years later, we still only have one house, just in case anyone's anyone's wondering that plan didn't quite work out. But (laughs) early on, we felt like the pressures we were feeling were just adulting. Like this is what it looks like to hustle and work hard when you want to have a large family and feel called to ministry. And so I remember in that time having a mentor that I went to lunch with before everything kind of hit the fan with us. And he was like, you know, I really think you ought to sell all the rental properties and maybe revisit that later in life. Like you're gifted Mm -hmm. at it. It's working, but there's just so much now with school and ministry and all the stuff. And I remember so clearly the conversation where I shook my head. Yes. Saying like, you're, you might be right. But in my heart, in my mind, I was thinking not a chance. Like I was in my pride, proud of this like house of cards that we had built. And so as years went by, I think the the drift that Katie felt was much more significant. As a guy, I just thought we're working hard, we're running hard, we were still having date nights, still having sex, would have arguments and stuff would happen, but I didn't feel I didn't feel a big drift, but when it come to came to really like shepherding Katie's heart and prioritizing our relationship, I think if you were to look at my my calendar, ministry and work and managing homes and all of the other stuff had taken priority over our marriage and and our family. And so in time, it just kind of came to a point where Katie, what started emotional, her thinking about these friends of ours, we were relationally isolated. There weren't really any other couples our age. And there came a point where this couple started attending the church. They were about our age hadn't been walking with God very long. So in their faith, we were kind of the the mentor couple. And just in time, it ended up that, man, we we ended up looking a lot more like them than they did like us. And he worked from home. And so Katie just kind of started dreaming about what it would be like in their life, what it would be like with him versus me and what started off as a emotional affair turned into a relationship. And and that's kind of where the book picks up of me really being in the dark as to what was actually happening in her heart and mind, just because of the, the drift that had happened with how hard we were running. Are you tired of constantly telling yourself, I shouldn't feel this way? 
Yet so many of us guilt trip or gaslight ourselves instead of working our way through those complicated feelings. You should be a good friend, even though you feel hurt by past betrayals. You should be content, even though you feel lonely or unfulfilled. We've all been there, haven't we? But what if there was a way to reset these toxic mental tapes that sabotage our days? Well, there is. In her groundbreaking new book, I Shouldn't Feel This Way, Dr. Allison Cook encourages you to not just silence those thoughts, but actually come face-to-face with them. You can find emotional freedom, learn to look through the haze of conflicted feelings, and move forward in your life with confidence. Pairing biblically sound principles with over 20 years of research and clinical practice, licensed therapist and best-selling author Dr. Allison Cook guides you through a practical three-step process to find freedom you crave. Change starts when you finally stop beating yourself up for the way that you feel and say, you know what? I do feel this way and I can finally do something about it. Take the first step towards clarity and peace today with I Shouldn't Feel This Way by Dr. Allison Cook. Available now wherever books are sold. Yeah, and we always say, you know, no one wakes up thinking they're going to have an affair. We were the same as as most any couple in that situation. We really thought like we have a love that's going to change the world. You know, we're we're going to if anyone's going to rock marriage, we're going to do it. You know, and looking back on it, you know, it. I think we always say that our life first was John ten ten. It says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they would have life and have it more abundantly. And we focused so much on that abundant life, you know, not the fact that we had an enemy and he was just waiting, right? He's like waiting like a lion, you know? And so the drift that was happening for us emotionally, physically, the boundary lines that we are slurring, all of that, I think was just created a thin place that did not at all justify kind of the depravity of my sin, my selfishness and this relationship that I found myself in that was really all self-love. You know, I knew that. Once we got to the other side of it is I realized like, oh, this wasn't love that I had for this other person. This was self-love. This was selfishness and self-desire. But one night I had gone to this Beth Moore simulcast in August, a night in August. And she said, I was sitting in the back of the room and she was like, there's a girl here that's in a pit so deep. She does not think that she can see her way out. And I want her to know that God's for her. And I'm sitting in the back of the room and I was like, it's me. That's me. I'm in such a deep pit. Like I'm never going to get out of this pit. I was hiding so much, you know, and then that same night, the girl from the other relationship, the wife came over to our house and she was crying and she was like, something's wrong with my marriage. I don't think my husband loves me anymore. And when she left that night, I said the first small thing, which we say, looking back, must've just been the Holy Spirit, like willed it out of my mouth because I just said to him, like, what if it's me? And I thought it would just stay on our couch. No one would ever know about it. We would just try to get through it. And I would save face and still be known as like the kind girl. You know, that was kind of my biggest thing in life is I just wanted to be known as like the sweet girl, the kind girl, no one that would, you know, ruin our family, someone else's family. And then instead we say it was God's grace that it became so public. You know, the church asked Josh to leave and, it really left us in this no man's land for about six months there in Columbia. We had no church community, no friends. We were going to lots of different counselors, but we were so isolated. So when we moved to Charleston, it was really this like Hail Mary of just let's find a couple. We wanted to attend Seacoast Church. We knew it was a healthy church. 
And we wanted to be discipled by this couple to just start to rebuild. And then we watched from that point, that was 16 years ago, you know, God did so many miracles in our relationship. And then we kind of, kind of became the it couple that people would go to in a crisis of marriage. We would see so many couples. And so that's where the principles from the book came out of. Mm, Yeah. And that's where you start the book with that line. What if it's me? I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I was totally hooked in right there. I love what you say in the introduction. Quote, you say, for better, for worse, for richer, or for poorer. In sickness and health, we say those words and we mean them until we don't. It turns out, given the right circumstances, none of us are accepted from drifting apart or making bad decisions that lead us to places we never thought we'd go. For you, what you're experiencing may not be the betrayal of an affair. We pray it's not. Perhaps you're not experiencing the abundant life you'd always dreamed of with your spouse. This is a book about what to do when you find there. You stay. And so stay is an acronym that stands for four steps that you can take, four things that you can do. And I would say as a person who we've had a lot of issues in our marriage over 30, uh, we're coming up on year 29 and in about a month or so. But my husband and I, at this point, we have a really healthy marriage, really great relationship. But some of the advice in here we've been taking, and I'm like, I already started using in the marriage. I'm like, this is great stuff. If you're healthy, it'll take you to the next level. But if you are on the rocks, if you are hopeless, if you think this is never going to get better, this is definitely a book that can give you that hope. So explain to us what that acronym stands for, the the stay. Yeah. Yeah. So the S, and I would say for each of these, they are our principles that that really came from God words mm. and the hardest moments. And so it's like, man, you hear from God on something and man, you can live out of it for decades, right? And so so each of these, I would say, got us out of a pit, but they're very much practices that, that we still walk out today as well. So the S is start with me. Mm-hmm. And... I would say from my seat in our story, you know, I was the the one that was was hurt, was betrayed, had trust had been broken. It was very easy for me to point a finger as to her sin, her choice, Mm -hmm. the pain that she had caused. But the reality in any relationship is that there's there's two perspectives. You're both contributing to the, the culture of the home as the quote leader of the home. It's like, man, I had I had a part to play and the environment that I had created and the things I had done or not done. And the reality of the moment is I couldn't make her love me again. Like I couldn't make her want to stay. I couldn't make her choose me. And so starting with me was really a, a decision to say, okay, God, what is my responsibility in this? Like, what do you want to one do for me? Like how, how do you want to meet me in my pain to comfort me, to befriend me and be with me? But then two, like, what's my role in making this better? And so starting with me, I would say in my pain helped me to not take my anger out on Katie, helped me to not need her to help fix a problem when she was the one that was just kind of in a dark, hard spot and and really let God be that for me. Yeah. And for me, obviously, you know, starting with me, it looked a lot like realizing why did these desires come about and why why could I not take them to Josh take them to God I so st- we still say that in any season of betrayal in a marriage when you have desires that are outside of your covenant most of the time that gap is supposed to go to 
the Lord, right? To satisfy us, to fulfill us. And instead, when you try to meet those needs on your own, it usually never ends well. Right. In whatever way that's trying to meet those needs. That's so true. It's so, so true. And it it's still, I still find myself in places up there today where if I start to have desires that I can say to Josh, like, hey, this is a fear I have, or this is a longing I have. What you know, and he can look to me and say, Hey, you know, I really think that we can work towards that. Or I think that's something that you need to bring to God and see what he has to say about it. So it looked a lot like that. There's principles in that first section about blame shifting and stopping blame shifting, which I was a professional at. I'm really, if anything was not going well in my life, it was Josh who was on the hook for it. Mm. If I was unsatisfied in my career, in my motherhood, or just in my place in life, if things weren't going up and to the right, I somehow was making that his fault. And then there's also principles in that section called confession therapy, Mm -hmm. which we started doing early on, which really just rebuilds your intimacy with each other. You know, this covenant was made to withstand so much honesty. And And that's probably the area where even, you know, I think early on the first decade, like what we would label as intimacy was really just the idea of us being able to have sex and it please God. Mm. Emotional intimacy and vulnerability and confession, like the the sharing of yourself with someone else from a voluntary standpoint of things they never would have known otherwise that make you kind of kind of put you at risk for them to choose love. It's like, man, those are just things we had never done. Mm. And so, and as a man, especially the idea of sharing fears and securities, stuff that, that was keeping me up at night that I didn't know what to do or said or done or thoughts I had. It's just like, that was not a part of our Mm -hmm. relationship that even now I would say it's so, so counterintuitive, but man, it builds trust and intimacy so much. So, yeah. And then the T is take quitting off the table. And A lot of this, you know, book is to speak to this lack of endurance that we have in our culture. Mm -hmm. I think the generation prior to ours, you know, maybe they stayed through really detrimental marriages, covenants that were unhealthy or places that they shouldn't have stayed. Now we just leave in a minute. We don't stay in the same job. Right. Stay in the same churches. You know, we, we as a culture, I think don't know how to endure through pain. I don't think we prepare pain in marriage like we should. And so take quitting off the table is just what do you do when you've decided, okay, I'm not going to quit. Josh always says most people quit long before they leave. And this is about really rebuilding, going to a new place. So you're not just staying to, at the end of the time, you know, I thought with Josh, if I did the good girl Christian thing, maybe I would have like a pal. I'd have like a friend at the end of it. What I did not realize is that God who authored all of those emotions, you know, would take us to a newer, deeper place of love. Mm. When I really stopped quitting, stopped quitting on my desires, stopped quitting on our intimacy, stopped quitting on letting other things drown out the priority of our marriage. So a lot of the principles in that section are around that. How do you endure and move to a new place? Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that is just getting practical with the many ways that we compromise or quit that we may not label as such, whether it's the language we use in arguments or the shows we watch on TV. It's like, man, in that season where I knew Katie was questioning leaving and quitting on the marriage, it just really opened my eyes to how much like, man, our entertainment, our language, our conversations, the way we would threaten each other in our pain, like maybe you'd be better without me. You know, it's like 
there was a season where divorce was kind of a casual insult in an argument. And so really just got got committed to like, man, we're going to rid our our home and language of even the the idea of there being a future where we're not together. So that was take quitting off the table. A is allow others to be a part of your story. Mm-hmm. And this principle is a lot about, you know, we know and read in scripture that God is faithful and just forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Like, man, we can go to him with anything we've done, confess our sin and be forgiven. Scripture also says to confess your sin one to another that you may be healed. And so as a believer, like it's very possible for me to walk through a season of sin as someone who is forgiven, but not healed from it and and likely to stumble back in it. And a lot of that is just because, man, you sit across the table from somebody and it, it, demands humility for you to share your sin, for you to share your pain and places of, of brokenness. And we know that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in that season for us, it's like, man, when you're at the end of your rope and you can't fix your marriage and you can't save the thing that you would say matters the most to you, uh, it's just like coming away from seeing a doctor. You know, if it was a cancer or a, you're going to you're going to go see anybody, you're going to tell them everything. There's no posture or pretending. And you're going to do what they say to try to fight for help. And it was just, it was that season of like coming to a city that we had never lived in, meeting people we didn't know, but just praying and believing God would use his people and his church to walk with us. So we we had a lot of just difficult negative counseling experiences, and it ended up being the church and our small group and leaders and folks that had never walked through what we had that were willing to walk with us wow. to uh, to get us to a place of health. And then why is yield to vision? Yeah, that's my favorite chapter because it's just about the fact that, you know, if anybody leads a business or any listeners that are listening to this, they've led a team. They know that they have to have vision for where they're going. They have to have goals written down. And, you know, we don't... you. Oftentimes we don't do that in our marriage. We don't say like, where are we going? What are we trying to go after together? Are we dreaming together? Mm-hmm. You know, and so a lot of the healthy couples that we've walked with in the midst through this book and through the workbook who are in a great spot but are trying to rebuild, they also kind of have stopped this dreaming together, taking on challenges together. And so Yield to Vision is all about cultivating vision for where you're going, mm-hmm. using language to get you there. And, you know, language changes people in every season. If you can have language to hold on to, even we've talked to empty nesters when they started to say, like, this is our honeymoon chapter, or this is our next chapter, or this is where we are rediscovering each other. You know, language like that changes everything of this is where we get to be students of each other again. Mm-hmm. Just Language creates vision. And so this chapter is all about practically how do you get vision for rebuilding to a new place? And so we give a lot of tools around that. And and then the workbook is 12 weeks of just very practical, great questions, because we always say from our story, you know, we both have our master's in counseling. We love counseling. But oftentimes when a couple goes to a counselor, you're paying for their license. You don't really know what their marriage is like. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of times people will like to pay money to keep things private, you know, but oftentimes you're not the solution to the best marriage that you can have. Whereas when you're sitting with another couple, a mentor couple, or if you're going through this book in a small group, you know, there's shared pain because everybody's trying to go to a new place. Nobody has, nobody's mastered marriage. Mm. Anyway, most Mm. everybody knows or can recognize that they have growth opportunities. But I feel like through that shared pain, 
you understand that you are the solution to the best marriage possible. Every marriage is so unique, but God's designed you to be together. And so when you look at both of your strengths, you really can start to move forward in a solution-focused way and go to a new place together. So that last chapter, Yield to Vision, is all about that. You know, just giving people hope that you may be in a devastating season right now, but you're not going to stay there. And I used to come to Josh like in some of our worst days and I'd bring him these old journals that I had where I was calling him like Snooky Boo Boo and stuff. (laughs) And I'd be like, I don't feel this way for you anymore. Like, you know, I don't feel these kinds of emotions. And he would say, Katie, I'm asking you to go to a newer, a deeper place of love. And I had had no concept of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't been in a home where I could see that. I really wasn't prepared for pain for endurance, but him giving me that vision of us going to a newer place, a deeper place, it was enough glimmer of hope that I thought, what if he's right? What if there's more to love, you know, than I've tasted so far? And that's really the story of our life and marriage. You know, we say our marriage is still like our very favorite thing, the greatest gift God's given us. And what he has done in our life is nothing short of a miracle, but it's also, you know, principles of cultivating this love. Mm-hmm. So that's what we hope comes across, you know, in the book, raw and real, but also hope feel hope filled, you know. That is so wonderful. I know, I know couples who are kind of in that place where how can they make this work? And then my husband and I, I feel like we have a really great marriage, but man, I've found some stuff in this book that I'm like, we're going to do this. <laughs> like the the vision retreat next year, or uh, we're recording this late 2023, but I'm like vision retreat in 2024. I want to do that. I so Yay. want to do that. I love some of your advice, Katie, about just spending a few minutes every day thinking about the good qualities of your spouse. I'm like, okay. I'm busy. I got five kids. I got all this stuff going on, but I tried that yesterday. I was, wor- I was like, just thinking about my husband. He's <laughs> my parents. When they met him, we all agreed. He's kind of a saint. It's like, we really have a hard time finding things <laughs> wrong with my husband. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he likes the status quo. Okay. If you want to make that like a, a negative or whatever, he, he likes, he's very, <laughs> he's very content. I'm the one who's pushed him. I, I'm really the one the Lord came to, to talk about Seegers four and five, because, you know, he gives me the vision and then I share it with him and he always gets on board. But if, if that is a criticism at all, which it really can't be that I have a very content husband, but he's kind of saintly. <laughs> so it's not hard for me to sit there and, and think of wonderful qualities. But as I did that, I started to find I'm excited for him to come home. OK, I'm really excited Why? for him to get home. And then we had a very lovely evening. Um, enough said, but my husband, <laughs> my husband, thanks you for that, Katie, but, <laughs> but it was wonderful. And so I, I would definitely say no matter where you are in your marriage, that this is really going to benefit you. At this point, our conversation shifted and we began digging into how a relationship can recover from a devastating betrayal or a season of rebellion. Now, the insights that Josh and Katie share here obviously apply to a marriage relationship, but also to our parenting relationships with our kids. At some point, moms and dads, our spouses are going to disappoint us and our kids are going to disappoint us in big ways and in small ways. And you know what? (laughs) At some point, we may be the one who disappoints them. Maybe our sin, our mistake causes a wound that leaves them reeling and us in shame. How do you deal with that reality? 
We all need to know. We will answer that question from the perspective of the one who is wounded and the one who wounds in next week's episode. You can pick up a copy of New Marriage, Same Couple, wherever books are sold. And check out Josh and Katie's website at joshandkatiewalters.com. And the best place, by the way, to connect with them is on Instagram. They're very active there. And I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes. Until then, remember that in our marriage, we must commit to stay. And that stands for S, start with me. T, take leaving off the table. And I just have to add this. I once had a pastor who said, if my wife ever leaves, I'm going with her. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, yeah. We need to stay committed to our spouse. A, allow others to be a part of your story. And Y, yield to vision. If you do that, you will have a marriage that not only survives, it will Thrive, and you can find yourself in the blissful relationship you always dreamed of. That doesn't happen accidentally, though. Mm-mm, nope. It is hard work, mamas and papas. Commit to that hard work and let God do the rest. And don't miss next week's episode. It is going to really encourage you in all of your hard relationships. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now, and I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh, and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. uh, Just a thought. Uh, and be sure to check out my website, which is katherineseegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you Your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God created them to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com.
Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.